Welcome to the Illuminating Lives podcast. I'm your host, Israel Smith, and I'm here to share conversations with you about what it means to illuminate our own lives, to be comfortable in our vulnerability, to truly love and value ourselves, and then to be able to use that to light up our own life and shine that light with the people we love and care about the most. This is going to be messy, it's going to be vulnerable, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Welcome. Let's get started. All right, welcome back to Dad's Guide to Thrive. I'm Israel Smith, your host, and today I'm joined by an amazing man called Jeffrey Mort from the northeastern corner of the United States in Massachusetts. Jeffrey's a father to three, a single dad, and all of his children are now teenagers. And despite what you would imagine that being a fairly challenging period in anybody's life, having three teenage children in the house, Jeffrey decided recently to pull up stumps on his career of 30-something years in construction and is now pursuing an entirely different path. So I'm really excited to chat with Jeffrey today. Jeffrey, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. Israel, thanks for having me here. I'm excited to be on your program. Yeah. So look, let's dig in. Tell me a bit about your kids, how old they are. You mentioned in, in our notes beforehand, they've got some superpowers. I want to hear a little bit more about your family and get a bit of the lay of the land. Oh, they're, they're wonderful. They're amazing. And, you know, for, for three kids that are related to each other, um, they have totally different personalities, as most parents can say about their, about their children. Um, and they, they're all on their own path. And I can see this, um, even though they're just teenagers, I can, I can see that the path that they're on and, and what lights them up. And I really try to encourage that for each of them, you know, uh, as a parent, I, I try not to force any direction uh, of life or, or, or any path on them. And I let them choose whatever makes them happy. And from year to year, sometimes that changes uh, between the three of them. But my, um, my oldest son, Jacob, he uh, just turned 16. So now he's got a, a motorcycle permit and a learner's permit for an automobile. And uh, so that's exciting. Uh, so that's mm. one of his passions is motorsports. And then his other passion is uh, technology. And he's, uh, you know, like most young kids, they're much smarter than their parents when it comes to tech. Um, but he's taken it's, things it's like a much, native language, isn't it? It is. It is. He's taken things to, to a much higher level. Uh, I think when he was uh, maybe three years old, we gave him uh, back when iPhones first came out. A family member gave us an iPhone, too, because she upgraded and, and said, you know, here, maybe Jacob wants to play with this thing. And he had that thing figured out at such a young age that we were going to him for advice on, Hey, how do you do this? Or I'm locked out of my own phone. Can you help me? Um, you know, so actually, you know, fast forward to a few years ago, um, he was getting into these electronic devices and, and taking them apart to learn what made him tick. And, uh, before we knew it, he was collecting, you know, family members, broken, um, cell phones and computers and he was stripping them down and, and rebuilding them and putting them on the internet for sale. So, you know, at one wow. point, I'd say at 13 years old, um, he was flipping some pretty heavy duty electronic components. Um, and I actually had to uh, sweet talk the bank into letting him get his own bank account because he was running thousands of dollars through my PayPal and I was getting taxed <laughs> on that at the end of the year. So I said, this, this has got to stop. You got to have your own business, kid. It's like um, he's pushing my tax bracket up, man. I'm getting penalized here because my son's an entrepreneur. It was, it was, and uh, that's so yeah, that's 
kind of gave him that mindset of uh, entrepreneurship at a young age. And music is uh -huh. his other uh, his other super talent. My oldest son Jacob, um, every instrument that he ever picked up, uh, he just he he understood how to transpose music from one instrument to the next and basically was was self-taught he had a few lessons in music class and then it was just a you know a rocket ship from there as far as uh his journey uh through music so whether it was saxophone and and you know anybody that's ever tried to learn the saxophone knows it's not a very easy instrument to learn um but saxophone clarinet flute keyboard piano guitar you name it uh he can pick it wow. up and play it and read and write music oh. so uh all I've pretty, learned pretty diversified sax. for a 16 year old. Yeah, that's amazing. Like I, I learned a little bit of piano and then I was able to translate that to a bit of guitar and then I'm primarily a drummer. So, you know, ah. who's the least musical guy in the room, but the, you uh, and I have that in common then, except for the piano fantastic. part, but the, the, I started off with guitar percussion and, and uh, venture yeah. into guitar. So tell me about the rest of your family. My middle child, uh, Elise, my daughter, she, uh, she just turned 14 and, uh, she is, She's into sports. She's actually going into uh, vocational school this year, um, and she's in an exploratory portion of uh, of that school. So she's going through some different vocational shops and sort of deciding what she wants to do for a career path. And uh, much like myself, when I went from what eighth grade to ninth grade into junior high, uh, from junior high into high school, you know, we were posed with a question: What do you want to do for your, for a career for the rest of your life? You know, when you're like mm. fourteen years old. Um, and back then I chose, uh, I chose electrical. So I'm interested to see what she chooses for a career path because she's, she's, um, enjoyed some of those exploratory vocational programs, um, a little differently than I guessed. Um, she wanted to go in for, uh, veterinary tech or health tech, um, which I thought was fantastic, but she didn't like either one of those programs. She really enjoyed, uh, cosmetology, which is perfectly fine but she also enjoyed metal fabrication and now she's in uh in a carpentry class right now so she's really enjoying you know the hands-on skilled trades uh just just like i was brought up in um and she's an amazing artist as well although she won't admit it and it's really it makes her uncomfortable when i tell her she needs to put her work out there to the world mm. because it's just phenomenal uh the artwork that she can produce um you know by what's inside of her it's it's amazing um, and she's just such a, she's such a sweetheart, but she's a firecracker. Uh, and I feel bad for anybody that crosses her. So <laughs> there's and a lot then, of parallels there with my daughter, who's 15, you know, she's, she's got a range of interests. She has an amazing voice, can sing anything and sing it beautifully. And I say to her from time to time, listen, why don't we collaborate on some stuff or release some music? It's like, Oh God, no, I don't want anyone else to hear me sing. I'll just sing for you and for, for mum and in the house, you know, which is always singing. And also has that that little edge to the personality that you don't want to cross <laughs> it's funny and that's good that's a good uh, a good life skill to have in the future time 100 percent. yeah so my youngest uh my youngest son james um and james is not quite a teenager yet he's 11 years old but close enough um he is uh just such an empath and such a compassionate young kid that has a heart as big as gold always thinking of other people um, putting other people first, like he, he's the first one to, you know, want to help and want to reach out and comes up with the ideas for, you know, what we can do for the family or the community or a friend or whatever the case may be. Um, and then, you know, other, other than his, uh, his compassionate heart, 
he is a sports pro- sports prodigy. And I was never into sports, uh, so I don't know where this came from. Um, but any any sport that he tries, he just excels at, like total triathlete someday or or you know MVP status. Whether it's basketball, football, soccer, I mean, you name it, this kid, anything that he picks up, he's just, uh, he excels at it. So wonderful, wonderful to be able to nurture those, uh, those superpowers and those talents, um, you know, for my own children. I just, I can't wait to see what, what direction they go in life. It's so good. That must be really, really exciting to sort of, to have that bird's eye view of three incredible and very, very, like you say, unique and different children, each with so much possibility on their path ahead. So it's wonderful, yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about a couple of things, and I, I do want to get back into, as you said, you know, your son Jacob's kind of adventure through schooling and how that's different to the typical, and also, you know, how that's impacted you as a father and and in the family unit. But I'm interested too in a bit about what was sort of the genesis of you choosing to um separate from your partner what were some of the sort of signs that were showing up and how did that kind of unfold and you know as much or as little detail as you're willing to go into there but i just i think that you know for the benefit of our listeners and the audience with this i feel like understanding what are some of the warning signs for for dads in the audience who may be struggling a little bit with their partner what are some things that they can keep an eye out for that perhaps you've been through and lived through that might help them i don't know correct course or identify more clearly what's going on or what have you, would you be willing to share? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, so we were, we were actually married for 17 years, um, which was, you know, during that time it was, it was wonderful. Uh, it was great. Having three children, um, definitely takes a, you know, takes its toll on a marriage and the communication. We, we always communicated very, very well. Um, and we, we still do to this day, I have to say, um, mm. we probably make better co-parents than we did partners in the last couple of years of our relationship. Um, but I would say that, you know, the, the stress put on, um, a household for, you know, a, a stay at home mom with three kids. And then the dad that is, is constantly working to make ends meet, whether that's, you know, five days a week, six days a week, sometimes seven days a week, you know, especially through, you know, we're going back to like 2008. We had um, we had two children then, and that's when you know the, the savings and loan industry crashed. I closed down right. my electrical contracting business. I went to work for another company. Uh, I was always at work so that I could try to pay for you know the the position that we were in in life. And um, you know, it was it was difficult, and it took its mm. toll on our it took its toll on our marriage, um, so to speak. And that was going back quite a ways. You know, we we recovered from that, and um, and then had our youngest son James in 2010. Um, the communication was always there, so that is key. I mean, you you know that for any any relationship, whether it's a you know a, a partnership uh, with a spouse or you know a girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever the case may be, or whether it's yeah. um, you know with your children, or whether it's with a business partner or a client, um, communication is is definitely key. And that was, that was always there at the forefront. So we would, you know, in, in most typical relationships that are, are going south or, or, you know, taking a negative tone, the communication, um, usually lacks where 
the partners communicate less and less. There's more and more tension, and then they just throw their hands up and say, "That's it, we're done." Um, it right. wasn't like that. We we had you know hundreds of hours of sit down conversations and about you know where we were and and where we were going, what we wanted and what we weren't comfortable with, and we mm-hmm. really talked it through um right up until we decided that uh you know maybe we would just make better co-parents than we would partners and it wasn't you know it wasn't easy uh but it's not the typical situation that um you know usually usually dissolves a 17 year marriage and you know even today after we've been separated legally divorced for 4 years now um we still have that level of communication we talk every day, we co-parent, we share responsibilities, we share finances as far as uh, financial responsibilities with the kids. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we participate in all those things. And um, it's, you know, it's it's a situation where, you know, most divorced couples don't, um, don't communicate. Most tip, uh, divorced couples don't collaborate as far as, um, you know, spending time together. Um, we, we spend time together. I go over there for, you know, Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner with the kids. Like we're always, um, we're we're always talking, we're always communicating back and forth. You know, as far as the separation, um, you know, during that process, we decided to go a different route, um, and make this all about, um, the experience that the kids would have during that, uh, typical situation getting separated. Um, so we decided uh, mutually, uh, it took a little bit of convincing on my part to get her to, to buy into it, but to get to uh, family counseling so that we could work through that with a professional and uh, go through that and developed a great relationship with a wonderful counselor uh, who we still see to this very day. Uh, you know, whenever we have uh, an issue we need to work through as, uh, you know, ex- extended family and uh, as co-parents or as individuals or, you know, with one of the kids specifically. So that was a huge uh, plus as far as the experience for the kids working with a professional. And, um, you know, when we were going through our separation, we decided again to not go the typical route of using attorneys. Uh, As anybody that's ever done that would know that uh, that gets very expensive and usually end up uh, in in a battle at some point. And that didn't happen. We used a mediator. And uh, even the mediator was uh, blown away by how amicable um, our separation was. And even even the judge that actually did the actual divorce in the courtroom was, uh, you know, she actually stopped and took her glasses off and said, I got to hand it to you guys. I've never seen any couple go through a a divorce agreement like you guys did. Everything was, uh, you know, well thought out and planned. And it was never about the money. Uh, It was always about, you know, the well-being of of everybody involved. So that was... um, you know, if, if, if anybody could ever, I, I always try to lead by example. I always try to model, um, after the, you know, the best situation, what, what, uh, imprint can I leave in the world that, uh, other people can model after that would definitely be one of them for anybody that's ever going through a, you know, a separation, whether it's just a partnership or a, uh, a marital separation is, uh, you know, set your ego aside and, and make it all about the well-being of the kids and uh, a not a typical, not a typical separation. And I even found, you know, I said my youngest son, James, is an empath. And one of his friends at school was going through, um, you know, his parents were getting divorced. And my son actually played the role of the counselor 
to talk him through, talk his friend through this, you know, this horrible experience that he thought it was going after. And, and my son, James says, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be a horrible experience. Let me share my experience with you. And this was, you know, back when he was eight, nine years old, uh, he shared that with me. And I was, you know, again, blown away by his uh, compassion and his heart that he was modeling what he saw his mom and I do um, and modeling what the counselor walked us through um, in that separation and using that to, you know, one of his, one of his schoolmates, one of his classmates at, you know, the mere age of eight years old. So. One of the amazing things about what you've just explained, Jeffrey, is that you were able to maintain such a beautiful, amicable, peaceful relationship with your partner, despite the reasons that you chose to separate and change paths. And I really feel like there's a lot of, I guess, self-awareness and emotional maturity that plays into something like that. Like it's, it's obviously when we're, when we're emotionally really invested in something like a relationship, like a marriage and being a parent and all of that, I'm really curious whether there's anything you can pinpoint in your own past or your own learning up until that point that maybe helped you, I guess, put the ego aside and just be able to kind of handle that peacefully and just be able to kind of, you know, keep yourself pretty regulated through what would have been very difficult circumstances? That's a very good question. And I, you know, if I can, if I can get a little deeper and esoteric here that um, I am a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. Mm. And I, I always had this comforting feeling that um, there was a reason behind this and coming out of it on the other side, I, I want to say that this path that I'm on now, I probably wouldn't be able to be on that. And, and we can talk about that in, in a few minutes. Um, I probably wouldn't have been able to fully step onto this uh, journey that I am on now had we stayed together. And I want to say it was, it was divine intervention uh, coming into play and letting us both know that this was the right thing to do um, mm. so that we could grow um, and expand in, in the ways that we both needed to do. And we weren't able to do that when we were together. Right. So, you know, I'm thinking back to say four, four and a half years ago, maybe longer, the writing's on the wall. You clear that for whatever variety of reasons. And I know it's never normally just one thing. It's usually a whole suite, a bit of a grab bag of different kind of factors. It was no longer viable for you and your ex to continue married. You wanted to still be good parents. That was a very clear value that you held. Did you, I don't know, did you have like a, a past life as a Zen monk or something? Like how, how did you, how did you stay in some sense of peacefulness and, and have that, because uh, it would have been really difficult. There would have been some very uncomfortable conversations and circumstances. What do you think, apart from that belief that everything happens for a reason, like, is there any other practices that you have in your life or have had in your life through that period that, that maybe helped you stay calm and stay level-headed through all of that? There was definitely, it's an excellent question. And, um, so in about 2000, I would say 14 or 2015, um, working construction for so many years, um, I was, you know, my body was all beat up and bent and twisted and, and I was just sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, waking up sore every day. And mm. at the time, you know, going back a little bit, um, with 
the kid's mom being a stay-at-home mom, she wanted some activities for the kids. And one of those things was something to teach them discipline. So she signed them up for a local karate course. And the during the course of that, they had a bring your parent to class night. And so their mom went and joined one of the classes and she was hooked. So she started participating in karate and went up through the ranks so fast that they said, we want you to come in and teach and we want you to teach the kids. Oh, wow. So once she advanced far enough where she could start teaching, she started uh, teaching the kids and her karate instructor teamed up with a Tai Chi instructor that wanted to use the same space. And that Tai Chi instructor came from an athletic background uh, in track and fields. His name is Karim. And she, uh, she said, well, why don't you go to one of Karim's classes and have him teach you how to stretch so you're not sore all the time. So oh, wow. I went to one of the Tai Chi classes uh, to learn how to stretch. And lo and behold, of course, he started teaching me Tai Chi. And mm. that was probably my lead domino into, um, into the health space and the wellness space. Uh, not only Tai Chi, but uh, Qigong as well, which Qigong is, you know, if, if, if Tai Chi were a young woman, Qigong would be the great, great grandmother to that young woman. Right. Um, so, right. okay. Yeah. So, you know, Qigong is, is more of a moving meditation. So that really helped me stay grounded. Um, and I would mm. say through that turmoil, um, that practice and that, uh, that was my anchor for sure. Right. Uh, being able to do that. And I'm still uh, an avid practitioner of, of Tai Chi and Qigong uh, on a, on a daily basis. And I still participate in that group um, three times a week as well. So that, and again, okay. everything happens for a reason. So that being my anchor was, was probably the way that, you know, I, I kept my shit together, so to speak. Yeah. Um, no, that all makes perfect and, sense now. I was thinking, what was the special source? What was that magic thing that let you just stay so at peace? But, and you know, don't get me wrong, Israel, it wasn't, it wasn't always easy. There were, you know, there were a lot of tense moments. There were a lot of tears, um, throughout the whole process. And it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't all, you know, bubblegum and rainbows for sure. Right. It was, yeah. you know, it was, it was a difficult, and like I said, hundreds and hundreds of hours of, of one-to-one, like deep soul searching conversations with each other and, mm -hmm. you know, and counselors as well. And, you know, yeah. even, even the counselor gave, gave us admiration and told me that, you know, w with your trust in the outcome, if you could bottle that up and sell it, you'd be, you know, you'd be set for life. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and I certainly didn't mean to uh, to diminish or downplay the fact that I'm certain there are challenges that came up through that because I think it's just, it's too much of a, in a way, like a personal cataclysm to go through a relationship breakup of that nature without something challenging. But I can see where, like you say, the, the, the Tai Chi and Qigong practices became an anchor. That's what helped ground you. That's what helped. And I'm sure on the days that you were feeling particularly shit, that would have been like, okay, I need to just go do some Tai Chi for half an hour or an hour and just, you know, recenter and reconnect to me. Right. It's, it's one of those things you, uh, the, the more, uh, the more wobbly things get, the more you lean into those sorts of practices to kind of, to bring you back to, to square. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the breathing techniques in that is what really helped me to, uh, be able to instantly, to, to learn how to instantly calm my, um, my sympathetic nervous system. So when I was feeling anxious or 
overwhelmed or having anxiety, I would just, I would go right into those breathing exercises. And that is, it's like the instant reset button for the, you know, sympathetic fight or flight nervous system, uh, Mm. overwhelm. It's amazing what breathing can actually do. And for most people to, you know, they, they might hear that and they might understand that, but unless you're disciplined enough with yourself to, to actually stop and implement that exercise and that practice to do it, um, you know, it's kind of like going to the gym. Everybody knows it's good for you, but to, to, you know, to set up a routine and be disciplined and, and go as often as you should, it's a different mm. story. I also think even on that point too, there's a subtle difference with having a breathing practice or a, or a yoga or a Tai Chi or some sort of, you know, movement, moving meditation, some kind of practice like that. Um, the real muscle strength for one of a better analogy is actually not just scheduling it in your calendar, but it's being able to acknowledge and recognize when things are going a bit sideways, when you need to almost stage an, an internal intervention with yourself and go, hang on a minute, hang on, this is not me. This is not where I want to be. Okay. I'm going to wrestle myself into this practice that I know is like broccoli. It's really good for me. It might be a bit annoying to get started and take the first few bites. Now, I agree with you wholeheartedly that everything happens for a reason. And I'm starting to see the dominoes line up. You know, your your former wife starting karate, that introduces you to Tai Chi, Qigong. That gives you this amazing grounded, centered kind of presence and ability to deal with whatever curveballs life presents to you. And then you realize, okay, the marriage is no longer a future proposition. We need to come to a peaceful or as peaceful as possible resolution. All the way through this, you're obviously holding as a really high value your love and care and and role modeling for your children, that you want them to see what it looks like to be, I guess, a a more conscious person, someone who's very present, very self-aware, moving through difficult stuff without throwing adult tantrums every half an hour. And then you make your way through that and you reach this point where you're like, I think... I think my, my life working as an electrician is no longer what's doing it for me. You know, you, obviously you said you'd, you'd found some physical challenges that you were able to overcome through, through the practices of Tai Chi Qigong. But what happened next? What was the kind of the next domino that went, oh, maybe this career is really not right after all? Well, I would say, that, you know, between the two paths coming together, there was, there was a stitch in between where, you know, I, I, I wasn't feeling my best self. I, I struggled with depression for many, many years. I, you know, looking back, I would say probably from a, from a teenager, um, mm. back, back then. And that always, you know, once in a while would rear its ugly head and I'd get in a funk and sometimes that would last a day or an hour. And sometimes it would last weeks or a month. Um, mm. and I think that probably took its toll on our relationship as well. Um, you know, especially if, if, you know, I want to say, to, to anybody listening, you know, especially the dads out there that, that have a stay at home mom, like mommy burnout is, is real. That is a, a real epidemic, uh, in this world and overwhelm for the moms, whether it's, you know, emotional balance or just overwhelm on all the things it takes to raise a family nowadays. And because I was always gone at work that it just, it probably built up um and then you know overflowed that that rain barrel um on our relationship on on her you know overload 
there was a point where, you know, she was on medication for, um, you know, for her anxiety and, and whatnot. And, you know, now learning natural health, I can see what led up to that. And that was, that was not the answer, um, you know, back then, but my, you know, my bout of depression at its, at its worst was probably when, you know, the, the marriage started, um, you know, having those elements that, that led up to, uh, it's, you know, it's final demise. Um, right. and I, I can see now that it was, it was a, a sense of lack of purpose. Um, I, I think, well, I, mm. I don't think I know that, like, I, I was always trying to find the, the root cause of, of my depression. I, I never wanted to participate in, you know, taking antidepressants, um, you know, although I struggled with alcohol for, for many, many years, um, I would say from my teenage years up until probably um, when I started taking uh, Tai Chi and, and Qigong. And, you know, I would I would try to dilute my worries and dilute my depression with alcohol. Um, and that wasn't, you know, obviously that wasn't the answer. But once I started doing good things for my body, whether it was Tai Chi or nutrition, but then I would go back to having uh, some some cocktails at night that um, I, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm caught on this this friction plate where I'm doing something good for myself and for my body, but I'm going back to my old habits and my old ways. And I don't like that direction. Like here I am mm -hmm. doing something good and I'm heading in a good direction. And then, you know, I'd come home from class and, and mix up a cocktail or two before bed and it'd be like, what am I doing? Like, I just, I felt wonderful 10 minutes ago. And now I, I, feel like i'm i'm junk <laughs> right you know i can so relate to that like i know from my own experience doing a lot of good things for your body and then noticing the kind of the discord or the clang of something that's out of alignment with that you know where you're like oh i'm doing tai chi and qigong and i'm feeling great i'm eating well and then i'm going to throw down some alcohol and then your body goes ah that's not right you know it, it's almost visceral right like it's almost an immediate oh that feels terrible why would you do that to me you know and I can, I can relate to that as well. It's so interesting because I think part of those practices of elevating how we feel uh, physically and our health, it, it actually like, it almost like sort of turns up the gain or the amplification on our sensitivities and our awareness of when things aren't in line with that. I don't know. Have you had a similar experience that the more of that rabbit hole you go down, the more you notice things about your body, you have like a, an enhanced literacy of it. And you notice real subtleties that maybe before you would have just steamrolled over and not even paid attention to. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I feel as though our emotions are our barometer. Our emotions mm. are letting us know what, what contrast we have in our life and, and what, you know, anytime somebody gets into anger or rage or, or depression or whatever the negative, negative emotion might be on that scale is, is like a dashboard light coming on or a warning, you know, light or a gauge going up into a red line that's letting you know that, you know, this is, this is not something, a direction that you should be going into um, mm. and that, that something's not right. So, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, especially guys, they don't, they don't like to talk about their emotions. They don't like to uh, deal with their emotions. They do things to suppress them, um, you know, and they even hand that uh, philosophy down to their children. We don't talk about our feelings right. in this household or whatever. And that's to such a detriment of the next generation. Um, it's, it's doing them a disservice for sure. So, you know, I make sure that 
I let my my children know that it's it's okay to feel upset or angry or hatred towards somebody, but you need to work through that and you need to you know deal with that and turn that back into let's you know let's observe ourselves, let's observe our emotions, and and let's step back and take a, a bird's eye view of of where we're at and and what has us feeling the way we feel, so that we can navigate into a, a better direction. So good. Renee Brown talks about it beautifully when she references shame. She said, shame can't survive daylight. When we bring shame out of the dark corners, when we expose it to light by talking about it, by expressing it, by really getting curious about it and sharing it with other people, it loses all of its potency. It loses all of its power over us. And we can then look at it for what it is, which is just another emotion that often comes from a faulty story or a bad interpretation and, or, you know, or perhaps, I don't know, an interpretation that doesn't help us or service, but then having that courage and also the, the freedom, particularly for our kids to say, Oh, I'm feeling a bit ashamed of this, this, and this. And as I talk about it, I can recognize that there's no need for me to feel that shame. It's actually just a bunch of stuff that happened. And I can now tell myself a different story about what went on and I can feel what I need to feel and process it and then move on. That's wonderful. And it's a very good point. And, you know, as far as, as far as shame, what a lot of people do with that is, is an either even unhealthier version of, uh, of expression than, you know, throwing a fit of rage or yelling or screaming or taking it out on somebody else as they internalize their, negative feelings, their shame, their guilt, their anger, their rage. And I was one of those people. Um, I was somebody that, mm. you know, I, I didn't want to hurt anybody else. I didn't want to fly off the handle in a fit of rage, although sometimes it was hard not to, you know, snap at the children or whatever the case was. Um, I would internalize this, you know, these emotions, especially going through the divorce, um, where I was just trying to grasp an understanding of like, where did we go wrong? What happened? And, and, you know, self-blame and shame and all those emotions, I was internalizing those sometimes for weeks at a time. So to, you know, to say that it was, even though it was an amicable separation, oh, it was, it was not easy. And I, it was a learning experience for me and um, a learning experience where internalizing those feelings actually landed me in the emergency room um, a couple of times where I was having internal pains that just, they wouldn't go away. So I was concerned enough um, and ended up going to the hospital and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. They, you know, were doing oh, wow. CT scans and blood work and ultrasounds and all kinds of things where the pain was and they just could not um, pinpoint what the problem was. Now, hindsight, knowing a lot more about internal energy um, from my, you know, my um, martial arts practice and from my natural health practice, I now know that I was bringing that onto myself and those mm. problems were manifesting into my body reacting to those, uh, those negative emotions. And, you know, there's, I don't want to say there's no medication that, that would have taken care of that, but the quickest medication is, is to, you know, get those feelings out and talk about those things. And that's where some of those, uh, counseling appointments and conversations, uh, you know, deep, deep level conversations, uh, with my kid's mom, at the time were, um, were therapeutic to just get those things off my chest and, and talk those things out. So as hard as some of those conversations might be with somebody, whether it's a, a partner or a child or, uh, you know, a, a parent or, uh, you know, a, a sibling or whatever the case may be, 
get those things out in the open and talk talk them out um, and don't internalize them. So good. I have uh, like something I teach my clients and that I kind of have, have developed is this thing called a thrive list. And there's seven items on it. And number seven, the last one, the kind of the capstone to, to kind of round it all out nicely is brave conversations. And often the brave conversations start with ourselves. We need to be brave from the perspective of being radically honest with ourselves about, you know, what is it that I'm really feeling right now? Am I willing to admit to myself that things are not quite right? And then once we get the courage to, to face internally what's going on, like, for example, you said, you know, internalizing all those emotions and then coming to the realization that, wow, all these physical manifestations might be just because I haven't actually let myself feel anything for the last six months or 12 months. And I just need to feel it. And I need to talk about it. And I need to, you know, again, it's just, it's another layer of brave conversations. And in, in doing so, it always, it's always scarier before you start than it is once you're in the moment. Don't you agree? Like it's, it's, you know, we build it up in our head, right. We build it up in our head to be this horrifying ordeal the hardest part is just saying, hey, can we just have a chat and then just start? And then once you start, it's almost like the floodgates open and everything you need to say just starts pouring out and then tears flow or emotions start to show up and pass or whatever it is. But, but it's never as bad when we're in the middle of it as we think when we're leading up to it. Absolutely. You know, if, if you, if you hesitate and you think about it too long and you get up in your head and you know, what if this, what if that, and then you, you end up in the worst case scenario, like the brain does, because it doesn't want to be in that uncomfortable situation, situation, you know, it's trying to keep you out of that, uh, that discomfort and in your comfort zone. And sometimes it might go days or weeks without having that conversation. And then it builds up and builds up inside of you. And then you have the conversation. And like you say, ah, it wasn't that bad. Or that was productive. Or why didn't we do that two weeks ago? Or I feel like, you know, a hundred pounds lighter because I've gotten this off my back and off my chest and we can start to think clearly and feel a bit more relaxed and all of the stuff. Yeah. We're preaching to the choir here, mate. I completely get that. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, on that token, on that token, I want to talk about one of the other modalities that I, I explored. Tai Chi led me into, you know, if I could feel this good, then what else is possible? That led me into things like um, massage therapy and chiropractic work and then energy work like Reiki. But there's a wonderful uh, modality out there and it's it's called craniosacral therapy. And deeper in that training is something called somato emotional release. And that's where the body holds on to emotions or tension or um, you know, it could be something like a surgery that somebody had, or it could be a car accident where that sudden impact of, of, you know, a head on collision in a car, like that energy is absorbed into the, the muscle, the tissue, the fascia, the bones of the body, and it needs to actually be released. And there is a practice, um, that is, you know, accepted by many, many insurance companies now, uh, that that uh, craniosacral therapy, somato-emotional release method that the practitioner, uh, similar to Reiki work, kind of, it's a, it's an energy modality. Mm. Um, the practitioner uh, puts the body in the position uh, to allow that energy to, uh, to dissipate. And that was a game changer for me, for sure. Wow. I've not heard of that. I've heard of Reiki and I've heard of a lot of the other things you spoke of, but that one's a new one for me. That's really interesting. But it makes sense when, when you know, we consider that, like our body 
is is almost like the the walking roadmap of everything we've physically and, and emotionally and mentally experienced. It's kind of manifesting in how we show up in our physical body. And wow, it makes so much sense. That's really interesting. I'm going to have to dig into that a little bit and learn more about it. I'm fascinated by that. It was created by uh, John Upledger in the 1970s, I believe. And, and he mm. founded the Upledger Institute that still to this day uh, teaches that practice. Although John's uh, since left this planet, he um, he left behind a wonderful place that uh, that still teaches his methods of, um, you know, that type of therapy, that energy work. And it's uh, it's amazing. He's got a book that's out. It's called uh, Your Inner Physician and You. And it really gives a... Um, a layman's entry level explanation to how craniosacral therapy works. But mm. the gist of it is that there's, um, there's a membrane that runs, if you could picture what a, a tadpole looks like, a, a you know, a, a embryo of a frog, right? It's, yeah. it's big and round at the beginning. And then it's got the, the tail that eventually forms the, the back end of the frog. It's a similar shape of a, a membrane around your brain and around your spinal cord that has a fluid in it that actually has its own uh, pulse, so to say, and that uh, pulse contains that energy. So working with that membrane to work with the central nervous system, um, and then you know that extends out into all the uh, all the muscle tissue and fascia that actually holds that tension. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing modality, and the results that I've gotten from it over the years um, is just profound. Wow. Wow. Okay. So let's bring it forward. Now you are in the process of transitioning to a new career path and listeners will be completely not shocked to hear that the path is in the health and wellness space based on the passion and the, the diversity of experiences you've had. Um, tell us about how you got to that kind of discovery within yourself because i'm certain that there are other people listening who are going you know i just don't think that what i'm doing right now is what i'm meant to be doing for the rest of my life talk us through how did you get to that kind of realization and then you know the from where did the courage come from to make the first leap in that direction great question um you know i spent 33 years in the uh, in the construction industry like we spoke about and some of that was as an employee. Some of that was as an employer. I had my own electrical contracting business for about 13 years. Um, and then in 2008, I went to, um, I went to work for somebody else when the, the savings and loan industry crashed and I had most of my eggs in the residential basket in, uh, here in, in the area that I live in and I had two young children, another one on the way, and I needed to do something. Uh, so I went mm. to work for one of the the largest um, electrical contractors in the area here. And I, um, you know, I worked for their, for, for them for a while, um, but it just never, never felt right. I actually, as of this time, I'm, I'm still employed by them. Um, so I, I sort of have one foot in the construction industry and one foot in the wellness space. So that's, you know, you're, you're catching me at a very pivotal, pivotal moment of my life. Right. And I, you know, I decided that I want to explore entrepreneurship. And I reached out to a, a friend of mine, Danielle, who um, at 35 years old was a, a self-made millionaire who created a, a software business that actually started in, um, well, it didn't start in Australia, but I'll get to that in a minute. But she started a software business that um, actually they took uh, court legal documents that were PDFs and converted them into digital software for attorneys. 
And she created this uh, software company that, that absolutely took off. Um, and it was, it was her brainchild. So I asked Danielle, I said, will you, you know, teach me entrepreneurship? Will you, will you get me into that and explain? Mm. And she actually, she asked me, she's like, I got to ask you one question. And I said, well, what is it? She says, are you ready? Am I ready for what? She's like, this is going to be a ride. So you better sit down and buckle up because it's not easy. It's not always fun. It's not what everybody makes it out to be. So uh, if you're ready, I'll, I'll show you where to start and how to get going. And that's what really um, dove me into uh, entrepreneurship, uh, service first, um, you know, back, I would say back in, you know, before, before I asked that question, I didn't even know what passive income was, uh, you know, mm. um, so it was, it was an amazing journey that she walked me through and it really started with mindset and the mental game on that. I think the first book that she recommended for me was As a Man Thinketh by James Allen, which was written back in the twenties or something, um, which right. really just totally reset my, reset my mind. That was my first mind reset. Uh -huh. Um, and that sort of led me down the path that what I was currently doing, working for somebody else was, was not what I wanted to do. So I decided that I was going to take my, my experience and my knowledge, and I was going to package that up and, and create an educational platform for electricians in my industry so that I could teach them leadership and skills and, um, you know, teach them wh what I knew from 33 years, basically fast track them from going through decades of their own experience um, where they could, you know, take an online course or do one-to-one -one coaching with me. And knowing that the construction industry is, is absolutely toxic. Uh, it, it can be mentally, physically uh, can be toxic. It's, you know, in heavy commercial construction, it's a numbers game. Uh, it's, it's a lot to do with the blame game because you're usually dealing with, you know, the lowest bidder on a project and uh, trying to make up that delta between what you should have bid it at and, and what you actually get the job at. Um, and being a toxic industry and getting my feet wet in health and wellness, um, the conversation always ended up over in the health and wellness space. And I asked myself one day, uh, after in, enrolling in, in a little program that you and I know very, very well, the TCP program, <laughs> Clarity and Vision Week, um, made me really stop and, and think deeply into like, where do I want to be and, and what direction do I want to go? Hmm. What do I want my life to look like in, in you know, three years, five years? What's my plan? And it was clear to me that it wasn't in, it wasn't in construction any longer uh, because- right. My conversation, I had a podcast for two years. It's actually still up and, and live um, in the construction space only because I had beneficial content there for people that I wanted to keep that up and running for them. Uh, but I actually, during that uh, Clarity and Vision Week, I closed down that entire um, program that I had worked about two years on building up with uh, the courses and the podcast and everything else and uh, wow. made an announcement and said, I'm, I'm taking a break. I'm going to do a little soul searching and uh, let you know where I'm coming back. And, and, you know, what direction I'm going to go in. And that's when I decided that um, I didn't just want to, you know, kick my feet in the water uh, a little bit in health and wellness. I wanted to go all in. Um, so once I was done with that, uh, that first round of that coaching program, um, I decided to enroll in a, a certification program to get some health coaching certifications. Although I felt I was qualified to be able to uh, teach people, I would feel horrible if I misguided somebody. So I wanted, 
a mentor that I could model after where I knew that I was giving people recommendations that were clinically proven and uh, that I was confident in being able to, um, you know, coach somebody to better health. So I enrolled in um, Integrative Health Practitioner Institute and got um, two health coaching certifications, level one and level two. And uh, now I am officially a certified integrative health practitioner that um, can help people to overcome their underlying, like you said, root causes of their imbalances mm -hmm. and get them to, um, you know, to feel alive again and actually, you know, lose weight. Uh, Anti-aging is, is one of the processes that we have as well. Um, although most people think of uh, aging as chronological, uh, there's also a biological element to aging where it's measured by um, your biology. And that process can actually be um, slowed down, stopped, or even reversed so that uh, people look and feel younger and live a longer life. So really what I do uh, as an integrative health practitioner is um, give people an extension on their life. Um, you know, it's, it's all too often we hear that it sucks getting old. Uh, that doesn't have to be the case. I, I look, feel, and function better at 48 years old than I did at 28 years old or even 38 years old. Uh, and it's amazing that the you know, the, the energy, the stamina that I have uh, today is I owe that all to, um, you know, my education and health. And I want to help other people feel the same way that I do and, and walk them down that same path and basically uh, meet them where they are and, you know, help them overcome whatever health issues that they have. And my target so that I can have a bigger impact on the world rather than just working uh, with, with anybody, although... My mantra is that I truly believe that I now have the skills that I can help anyone with anything at any time. And I feel as though that my intuition is guided by source energy. Um, I want to focus on where I can have the biggest impact. So the people that I enjoy working with most are entrepreneurs that have an audience of their own, but those entrepreneurs have uh, health issues or want to up-level their performance, whether they you know, are into health and wellness, but they have plateaued. Um, I now right. have the skills to take them to the next level. Sensational. Wow, that's really awesome. So it's clear to me in the same way that you and I were speaking about how much the work I've started doing now as a coach and running these interview chats, it just feels like I'm floating. It feels like it's the easiest thing in the world. It's so inspiring. It's so uplifting to me as the person, you know, leading and delivering these. I get that same impression from you that this work, the, the work that you've done to date just sort of lights you up in a way that, that electrical contracting hasn't done for some time and maybe never did. I don't know. But, you know, often we start a new career with a lot of enthusiasm and passion and it starts to sort of taper off over time. But, but this is the sort of thing I'm, I'm imagining for you that really is like a, this is a life's work. This is something you could gladly dig your teeth into for a very long time to come and really spend yourself in the pursuit of that mission of helping people feel age, you know, feel better, better at their older age than they were at the younger age and, and just, yeah, overcome any plateaus and things. I think it's amazing. So absolutely. And I'm grateful for my experience that I had um, in the construction industry, because that's what got me to where I am today. I feel like I, I've gone through everything in my life to get to this point. So I have zero regrets in life, whether, um, 
you know, whether it was my struggles with drugs and alcohol in my younger days, whether it was my, you know, divorce, people think, you know, look at divorces as a regretful, um, you know, element in their life. And, and I, I have zero regrets in my life whatsoever. Fantastic. So uh, what would you say is, you know, and, and sadly, I don't know whether we're going to have time to cover Jacob's sort of current learning practices. Um, but if you were to try and sum up what it is that you think has made the biggest difference in you overcoming all of the various challenges and curveballs that you've had to face, you know, from uh, mental illness, physical manifestations of, you know, poor ill health, um, the, the breakdown of the marriage, and then, you know, managing what you need for your own career, as well as trying to be the best dad that you can be and look after your own well-being in the midst of all of that. Like, is there a single, I'm sure there's many things that have contributed, but is there a single thing that you could say is like top of the list or the one that you always default to that helps you thrive, that helps you operate the best you can in your day-to-day -day life? Well, you're right. There are, um, there are many things that come to mind, um, to, to narrow them all down. Well, there's one thing that I want to mention, and it was great advice that my dad gave to me years back when I first started having children is he, is he gave me the advice that never to be too busy being too busy. And what that meant to me at the time, I had no idea what he was talking about, but now, now that I have three children of my own, I understand that, um, you know, that, that I was that person being too busy, um, being just, just being busy, just doing all the time and never being present, um, right. for my family and my, my children. So I would boil it down to being a conscious parent. And that goes for, that goes for, for even preconceived parenthood, even before the child is, is conceived that there's an element of energy, um, in the couple's relationship. And if that child is conceived with um, a, a low vibration of energy around it, even when it's in the womb, it's picking up on that. So if it's a stressful relationship and the mom is, is pregnant with the child in the womb, it's picking up on that, um, it, the child is picking up on that energy. The stress hormones that the mom might be feeling, the child's also getting those stress hormones. So if it's a tumultuous relationship, or if it's, uh, you know, struggles in, in lifestyle, whether it's career or financial issues, those uh, emotions, those feelings, whether it's the, the stress from the mom and the hormones going, you know, through the, the embryo and, the, and the, the fetus and the child, or the, the dad, um, you know, coming home from work and being stressed out and lashing out at the, at the, the wife, like that lash out has energy. So being a conscious parent, with your energy, um, I would say that find your anchor and learn where you can leave that stuff at the door and, you know, leave it behind you. Let that, let that stuff go. What that really boils down to is, um, one of the universal laws, the law of detachment to be able to detach from the outcome, whether that's a good outcome of something that you want or, you know, a bad outcome to, you know, detach from a bad day at work or detach from, uh, you know, negative emotions and just try to present yourself, be in the present moment with a higher, higher vibration, a higher frequency, um, with your energy. So my, um, you know, talking about coming from the electrical industry into the health and wellness industry, 
I really tell people that I went from uh, one type of energy work to to a different type of energy work, and and and, he, and here we are, right? We're we're talking about our like we are energy. There's nothing else mm. in the world except for energy. If you boil anything, break anything down to a you know a, a basic foundational point it's it's mm. broken down into to energy you have your your body which is made up of cells and those cells are made up of uh, tissue the tissues are made up of atoms and the atoms are made up of protons electrons and neutrons circling around each other and, and what's there there's just space right you get the, mm. the the nucleus in the center and you get some stuff a cloud revolving around it like that's just that's energy and anything yeah. anything can be broken down into that so be conscious uh be a conscious parent and, and be conscious of your energy at, at all times, because that's all you have is right now. What's in the past is gone. So there's no point in hanging on to it. So back to the detachment and what's in the future is, is what you think and speak and create for yourself. So be conscious of that too. So conscious parenting would be the biggest takeaway that I could give anybody. I love that so much. And I don't want to Thank try you. adding anything to that. I think that's just a beautiful <laughs> summation. So with that, I'm going to draw this to a very grateful, very, very, very grateful close. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insights and your story with us, Jeffrey. Um, I'll put details in the show notes of where people can learn more about the work you're doing now as an integrated health practitioner, if they want to sort of dig in a little deeper and, and perhaps reach out and contact you about getting some support with what they're having troubles with. And I'm just thrilled that we had the chance to, to sit down and have a chat. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. And um, I'd be happy to come back on if you're looking to have some future conversations. It was my pleasure being here on your program. And I love what you're doing and your your mission uh, to, to help dads and parents and moms and, and coaching uh, the way you do. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And I can tell that that is what lights you up as well. 100%. All right. Absolutely. Thank you again. And uh, to everyone listening and watching, thank you for being here for this chat. And we will see you on the next episode of Dad's Guide to Thrive. Have a wonderful day wherever you are in the world. Thank you, Jeffrey. And we will see you again soon. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Illuminating Lives podcast. Please help me reach more people by sharing this podcast with your loved ones and leaving me a great five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Remember, I work as a one-to-one -one coach and professional speaker, helping dads in business and leadership find more peace, feel less stress, and be the best parent, husband, and leader they can be. If you'd like to work with me or have me present to your organization, please contact me via my website or social media. All the links are in the show notes. Until next time, may you be free. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be loved. And may you live with ease.